Thanks for listening to Open Doors Live with your hosts, Mike Gore and James Cazina. Because of your support, we're able to bring the persecuted church to life. For more information, head over to opendoors.org.au. Here's today's episode. Hello, everybody. It is Mike Gore here in the studio with James Cazina, and welcome back to another episode of the Open Doors Live podcast. Before we get into today, I want to say a huge thank you to all of you who have been rating, reviewing, and sharing this podcast. I am constantly approached by people who say, hey, Mike, we're listening to this show. We love it. We're challenged by the stories. Thanks so much for what you're doing. And so from James and I to you, thank you for supporting it. And please continue to tell your friends about it, share it, review it, because we are so passionate about this podcast and the way it can impact people's lives. But today we're talking about finding Jesus in the Muslim world. And right now, as we're on the cusp of Ramadan, this is a topic that is relevant to the church. It's also a topic that is controversial, James. That's right, Mike. And, you know, for everybody listening today, we really want to encourage you to explore this deeper because, as you know, there's many people in our communities uh, that are not only Muslims, but of uh, other faith backgrounds. And so we want to encourage you that this is an opportunity to get outside uh, your comfort zone and, and spread the gospel, share the message of Jesus in this time. So we pray that this would encourage you today. Uh, Mike and I have both recently spent time in Muslim-majority countries. And so we've got some great stories for you uh, from this part of the world where Christians are really suffering for their faith. Uh, Many people, you might not realize, actually convert from Islam because they had a personal encounter with Jesus through a dream or a vision. James, I was recently in Central Asia and speaking to a brother there who told me that in his country, 30% of people coming to faith from a Muslim background are coming to faith because of dreams and visions. Absolutely amazing. And uh, just recently, October last year, I was in Jordan, a uh, Muslim-majority country, 98.5% Muslim-majority nation, Uh, 2.6 million refugees in Jordan who have largely fled from the horrors of uh, ISIS from Iraq and Syria. And we met an incredible man, a friend of the ministry there, was a Brazilian, and he really felt compelled by the Lord to minister in Jordan. He told us this incredible story, one that I won't quickly forget, of a large refugee camp right near the Syrian border. Uh, Just three weeks before we were there, he led a group of evangelists into this camp with an Egyptian man. This camp was inhabited only by Muslims. They went into one of these tents where there was a large family there. And there was a woman who had been deaf her whole life, was now 42 years old. They served them food and had a time of prayer together. When they were just about to leave, uh, her father brought this woman forward, asking for a special prayer for her. He didn't ask for healing, just that they would pray for her. Four people did a simple, short prayer, and the miraculous happened. This woman began to speak. She was kneeling on the floor in front of this group, exclaiming, Thank you, thank you, you healed me. And they had to correct her and say, It's not us who healed you. It was Jesus. She was so excited that she jumped up and began running through the camp, yelling, Jesus healed me, Jesus healed me. Remember, this is one of the most dangerous parts of Jordan at the time, a highly secure refugee camp right on the Syrian border. Due to this danger, the men tried to stop her, but she was uncontainable. The men in the camp began to realize the other people that had seen her. This is the woman we know who's been deaf her whole life, and they encouraged her to speak. Just think for a minute, these people who have known her for her whole life are now witnessing a woman 
who previously couldn't speak, couldn't hear, is now able to profess that Jesus has healed her with her own mouth. What an incredible story. Many, many people are coming to the Lord in that place. You know, what I love is that when Jesus turns up, it is one of the most attractive, one of the most powerful, and one of the most convicting things you ever see. That story, which I love, James, it's the first time I've actually heard that story. So it's a story I love, but it's a story that is echoed right across the world. The man in white. You know, I hear about the man in white, the man in white, all over the place. And what I love is that at Ramadan, it gives us an opportunity to pray for Muslims to come to faith in Jesus. And I'm about to hand to our producer, Bethany, who will tell you about something called a dedicated faith. You know, throughout Ramadan, a lot of organizations will say, hey, you really need to focus as a church, as a community group, as Christians, on praying for Muslims. And many times they'll ask you for 30 days of their focus. What I love about a dedicated faith with open doors is I'm asking for one day of your focus. And more than that, I promise you this one day is something that you won't soon forget. And so I'll get out of the way and I'll let Bethany tell you all about a dedicated faith. Over 1.8 billion people around the world identify as being Muslim. During Ramadan, Muslims are dedicating themselves to fasting, praying and seeking forgiveness. So why should we care about it? During Ramadan, Christians in Islamic countries face increased persecution. So we're asking groups, churches and individuals between the 15th of May to the 4th of June to do four things. One, fast from sunrise to sunset. Two, pray for Muslims to come to know Christ and Christians to be bold in their faith. Three, gather together to break the fast. Four, raise funds to support the church in the Muslim world. We're calling it a dedicated faith. All funds raised as part of a dedicated faith will go towards projects like teaching church leaders to disciple Muslim background believers before persecution comes. For more information, go to opendoors.org.au or if you're in New Zealand, go to opendoors.org.nz. Now back to today's episode. Welcome back to today's episode of the Open Doors Live podcast. Thank you to all the churches that are already participating in this. I know that last year there was more than 100 churches that participated in a dedicated faith. So if you're out there thinking, what can we do as a church or small group during Ramadan, please jump online at opendoors.org.au or opendoors.org.nz and register for a dedicated faith. It will be a program that you won't soon forget. But today we're talking about Muslims coming to faith in Jesus. I mentioned previously I was recently in Central Asia and had met with several believers, brothers, friends of the ministry. And there was one statement that really stood out to me because one of the brothers said to me, I've observed the radicalization of Islam in this country like mushrooms growing after the rain. Now, a little bit of backstory to me is I love gardening. I love horticulture. In fact, one of my favorite things to do is every morning is my daughters and I make a cup of coffee for me, not them, and we go for a walk through the garden. It's one of the most treasured things when I'm at home of a morning to every single day walk through my garden. And so when I hear this brother mention the spread of radical Islam like mushrooms growing after the rain, I know what he means. Because you see, it can rain one day and you're literally walking through the garden the next and there's mushrooms popping up everywhere. So his image and the metaphor he used, it struck me powerfully. And the thought of Islam spreading across his nation with that speed, married with the statement I made before, which was, well, in this man's country, 30% of Muslim background believers are coming to faith in Christ because of dreams and visions of the man in white. 
It was a really powerful statement because in that moment, you know, I realized that so many charity organizations exist to end something. It's a brilliant reason for existing. But as I sat with this picture of the increase in radicalization, the link between dreams and visions and people coming to faith, I realized that Open Doors as a ministry, we actually prolong persecution. Brother Andrew had a very clear uh, revelation about the verse that says, wake up and strengthen that what remains and is about to die. And we're still doing that now in over 70 countries, strengthening Christians to stay in these places where it's literally so dangerous for them to follow Jesus. That's right, because the reality is, is that wherever the gospel is being shared, persecution exists. You see, we're not actually here as an organization to stop persecution. We're not even here to stop it growing. We're here to give people the strength to stand in the face of it and shine as brightly as they can. And it's one of the most beautiful things about what we do because we're saying, hey, you know what, where are people sharing the gospel and how can we go there and help them keep doing it? I think that encouragement for us here in Australia and in New Zealand, how can we be strong amidst the suffering in our life, amidst anything that comes towards us? How can we represent Jesus as best as we possibly can? James, Central Asia is a part of the world that I love dearly. I remember I had just finished hearing all about the spread of radical Islam. That evening, on our way to dinner, you know, I sat and sort of wrestled with the statement I'd heard that day. And as we pulled in to the driveway, the large metal gates were closed quickly behind us. It wasn't a restaurant, it was a house, a family. We didn't know them, they didn't know us. One of our contacts had asked them to host some friends for dinner. It wasn't until we were sitting down, well into eating our meal, that the husband asked our contact, who are these people? I was truly humbled by this because when we had arrived, we were welcomed as though we were family. Warm hugs, genuine smiles, and a loving and trusting atmosphere that welcomed vulnerability without them having a clue who we were. As we sat on the floor around a large Central Asian table filled to the brim with food, we began to hear this family's testimony. The man's name was Daniel. He was strong, visibly strong. But his eyes were full of warmth, and he had this incredibly gentle spirit. His wife Sarah was warm, friendly and softly spoken. I got the impression she'd be an incredible mum. They're married, they have three kids. Sarah began telling us that Daniel had not always been this way. Formerly a Muslim, he used to drink heavily and in her words, would behave like a terrorist. Sarah told us how she used to hide in different parts of the house to avoid him. Sarah, who was also formerly a Muslim, said that she knew only God could change Daniel. And so she prayed. Daniel began to speak and tell us that one day he was at home standing in the room we were now sitting and Jesus appeared to him, touched him on the mouth and he began to speak verbally. Daniel tells us how Sarah and his paralyzed mother were in the same room. They both looked at him in amazement as he began to preach the gospel. Sarah says her mother-in-law said, he's preaching. This continued for three days. On the second or third day, Daniel and Sarah were at his parents' house. And he said he felt the Lord say, stretch your hand into the wardrobe, there is a book. It's my book. When he reached into the wardrobe, there was a New Testament. His parents were extremist Muslims. Daniel went to his wife and said, I have a book. He gave it to me. There had never been a book there before. He then heard the Lord say, open the book and check it. Daniel said Sarah couldn't hear this voice, although she was standing in front of him but he could hear it clearly. They both opened the book to the middle and there were two pages filled with the descriptions of his sins, alcoholism, abuse, and Daniel said that when he read it, he closed it immediately because he felt uncomfortable. 
He said to Sarah, Who is this about? And she replied, You. Daniel then opened the book for a second time, and this time saw written on the page, Daniel, you've seen what I've done for you in two days. Daniel stops short of finishing this sentence and says, And you know that's strange? Because no Bibles have such a verse. After this experience, Daniel started to read the Bible regularly with Sarah. He says it was so unlike him because he was never a reader. He couldn't find any of the passages he had seen when he first opened it. But later as he read it, he was able to find verses and scriptures that he remembers he had been preaching when the Lord first touched his mouth. Daniel had a new passion for Jesus. He had stopped drinking and his life changed. He recounts how he asked the Lord if he could go to the mosque to tell people about Jesus. But he said that the Lord told him, no, no, it was too dangerous. But he should go to a Christian church. After seeing this change in Daniel, Sarah also gave her life to Christ. But her family are to this day extremist Muslims. Her mother, father and brothers all said they would kill her. And Sarah simply replied, so kill me. I would never give up such a God. Sarah tells us how she was blocked from seeing her family for eight years. And during this time, people would come in large groups to their house and try and reconvert them. In fact, we're told how there would be 15 people sitting in the room all trying to get Daniel to renounce his faith. And he tells us how they would speak terribly about Jesus and say horrible things. And he says when that would happen, Daniel would kind of clench his fists as though he was ready to fight. And he'll say, do you want to speak in another language? Implying that we can speak with our fists if you want. Daniel then said, I would tell them, Jesus is my closest relative. You will not speak about him like that. Daniel began to outline their ministry now. You see, they run a home group with eight people where they study the Bible deeply. It's the ministry that they're most proud of. However, in addition to this, they run evangelism classes to Muslims. They go to poor areas and help families however they can and then share the gospel. For many years, neighbors would scold them and treat them poorly. Daniel now tells us how his Muslim neighbors will not only consult them to get their wisdom and advice, but also ask them to pray for them and come back to them regularly to tell them that their prayers have been answered. Also, their immediate families now know that they cannot reconvert them and respect their choice. It's simply incredible, but it's not without cost. You see, Daniel tells us his kids are often ridiculed for leaving Islam. But he said one time some of the kids in the neighborhood were telling his son that he had traded or sold the faith of their fathers. Their 11-year-old son replied, We didn't sell our faith, we obtained life. As the night drew to a close, a friend of mine asked one of my favorite questions. He said, Daniel, what message would you have for believers in our countries? And without missing a beat, Daniel said, Don't relax, stay on the Lord. He's alive and we have to be alive and alert to be able to move together. And just like that, the persecuted church once again shows their strength, beauty, power and grace. Our goal shouldn't be to flee persecution, it should be to run towards it in lockstep with Jesus. Because wherever he is being shared, you will find persecution. Maybe the question for us is not how do we avoid persecution, but why aren't we being persecuted? Daniel, Sarah, and their family know this, but they also know that he is worth everything. The thing I love about that story so much is that it gives us a way to effectively model this kind of life to our children. 
I see this time and time again when I travel that this man here has got an 11 year old son who is bold in his declaration of faith for Jesus. I want my family to look like that. And around this season of Ramadan, we have an opportunity to show our families what it looks like to love our neighbors. You know, it's one of the things that Dedicated Faith, the program we're actually talking about is so beautifully tailored to do. You see, we're asking people, as Bethany said in the ad, to fast for a whole day, to pray five times during that day to Jesus for Muslim to come to know Christ. But you know what? At the end of that is that we break a fast with a beautiful meal of fellowship, a time where you can come together, talk about how it felt to walk in the shoes of a Muslim convert. But more than that, to metaphorically open up your house. Start with that. My encouragement today is, if you're listening to this podcast, jump online, register your group, register your church, because you know what? For Daniel and Sarah, it changed everything. You can pray this Ramadan that the man in white will turn up to Muslims all over the world. And I want you to know the prayer is being answered. Thanks for listening to Open Doors Live with your hosts, Mike Gore and James Cazina. Because of your support, we're able to bring the persecuted church to life. For more information, head over to opendoors.org.au. 